Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So I still feel like I'm in school whenever I make these little, like, presentations. So I made one for Cole, and I came up with a concept property of for the jumpsuit. I photoshopped his face on all the sketches. I was I wanted to sell it. Like, this is you. Yeah, yeah. And, um, like, literally that night, uh, Felton hit me. He's like, yo, he loved it. Can you fly to LA tomorrow? And that was the beginning of everything. Welcome to 94 and More, presented by Bristol Studio. While a basketball court might be 94 feet, we believe it's limiting to solely look at this beautiful game as a sport. In our minds, it's closer to an art form, even a tool through which we can study the world and learn about ourselves. I'm your host, Jake Fenster, and on this podcast, we will explore the game of basketball, not only as a sport, but as a dynamic force that influences culture, builds bridges, and has the ability to shape our national conversation. Hope you enjoy. As always, feel free to reach out to us at 94 at bristol-studio.com and follow us on Instagram at Bristol Studio and at 94 and more podcast. All right, let's get into the show. Today, we are joined by Rihanna Anais and our special guest host is Luke Tadashi. Luke, welcome back. And Rihanna, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, guys. How, um, Rihanna, how would you, or Ray, sorry, we're going to call you Ray today. Um, how would you uh, introduce yourself to the people listening? Um, I would introduce myself. You know, I told you guys when we spoke, mm. I hate titles, but I'm a designer, stylist, and overall creative. Um, my official title is director of design at Dreamville. I'm also stylist for J. Cole, and I have my own brand, Arthropoda, which will be coming out or re-emerging in the mm. spring. 2022 go go more into that why do you hate titles i think that's a good place to start yeah man i just feel like they're so limiting and i feel like most people can relate to being in a situation in life that you end up in because life is like this journey so you may be a painter you end up like say working at the bank to make ends meet and now you're a banker and it's like no i'm not a banker i'm a a so for me like my journey into styling and this awesome position that I have now was very unplanned and uh you know I started out um on a very linear track I went to a high school for fashion I studied fashion in high school shout out to the high school fashion industries in New York and before that I was on this path to be like a painter and I like fashion illustration kind of a segue from painting mm-hmm. but um it was either going to be, I'm opening an art gallery and I'm painting or, okay, I want to be Alexander McQueen. Pretty solidified <laughs> on that. And then, you know, life happened when I grad. I went to also Parsons in New York, studied design. And I, and I, that made me very linear. It was like, you're only going to do and be this. And so to end up in a space where like I wear a title as a stylist or I wear a title, it's uncomfortable for me to like assume any title now because I've had the pleasure honestly of dabbling in a few so I feel like it just restrains us because now 
you may not want to go and do that other thing because you're like, man, but everybody thinks I'm a photographer. How can I drop my mixtape? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it is that is interesting. And that's something that you know we talk a lot about on this show. Um, and I think when we grew up, it was you know in the early 2000s, you kind of were everyone was kind of labeled in a certain way, right? You didn't, you weren't multi-hyphenate. Like you couldn't do, you couldn't be an athlete and an artist. You couldn't be a musician um, and, you know, work at a bank. Like it just, it didn't really, you were kind of typecast into one thing. Um, so I think that you kind of bringing that up and I think that's a great point. It's kind of how we operate too. The titles don't really mean a lot to us. You know, it's kind of like you do a whole bunch of different things and um, it kind of is, this beautiful evolution of, you know, each one of us as we grow and find the things that we like and, and kind of just follow our interests. Um, how did you get started in all this? Did you kind of know you wanted to be, you know, an artist from the beginning and working in these kind of creative fields or did you kind of naturally stumble into that? I always knew I wanted to do something creative. Like apparently I was, my mom will say like, you were drawing before you were writing. Like we had to get you writing, but, but I maybe was doing hieroglyphics. Like this is what mm -hmm. I mean, but I always wanted to draw and paint. So I knew like <clears throat> I'd end up in a creative field. And honestly, pretty early on, like by junior high school, I had my career path planned out, which is why I always kind of approached my journey in a very rigid way. Cause it was like, well, I've been planning this since I was 10. So I have to do it. But I went to a school where the focus was, we got to declare majors and the focus for me was fashion. So that was really when it was solidified. Like this is absolutely going to be my career path. Um, and then of course, going to Parsons when it's like on a more disciplined level, focusing on design. For me, the area of design that I wanted to focus on was in the luxury space and um, women's wear. I worked heavily in leather and fur. And that kind of happened like my junior year. Uh, I did a study abroad program. So I studied at Parsons Paris and my focus there was textile design. So that kind of was the bridge into this obsession with like, yeah, this is the design idea, but like how, what can we do to the fabric before we even get to that level of idea? Um, and then I, I took that same approach with fur through a competition that I won with a company named Saga Furs. Um, and I had an amazing opportunity to go to their design house in Copenhagen and just spend a week, like literally playing and testing and, and studying fur. So that became a large part of my career or my brand identity rather early on. Mm -hmm. um, my thesis was all kind of shaped around fur. I ended up winning another competition and showing my collection in Hong Kong at the Hong Kong Fur Federation trade show. So it felt like everything was lining up, right? Like, okay, this is what mm -hmm. you're going to do. And that's the funny thing about titles, about life, because I also didn't love being labeled as a fur designer because I knew that I kind of rolled into that and I was interested in it and I wanted to do it. And I also wanted to do other things, but it felt like a successful track. So I rolled yeah. with What's it like to work with fur? Can you kind of take us through the process yeah. of, of working with that? So for me, I always looked up to designers like Alexander McQueen and does, like because he's so heavily influenced or he was so heavily influenced and inspired by nature. 
So I auto, I also automatically kind of gravitate towards like natural materials. And for me, again, because I know this is a very sensitive topic, it felt like a natural resource that had endless possibilities. And I was actually challenged by working with it in a way that would not make it look like a traditional fur. So my favorite thing to do was let's shear it, let's dye it, let's knit it, let's stud it, let's turn it into a lace. And these are all like literally the possibilities are endless. That was like a fun challenge for me. It's like, a, like literally like being in the kitchen, like, all right, I'm gonna add this, I'm gonna do that. As far as like the technical aspect, it's, it's definitely something that you have to practice and learn as far as like these furriers are born into what they do. Like their fathers and their grandfathers were furriers and they do this from the time they're like six or seven sewing on the fur machine. So my furrier could sew while he's talking to me, barely looking at me. I'm there like, oh God, because it's a single stitch. So there's two wheels that rotate this way and kind of feed the two skins through. And then there's a loop that goes around the top of it. So it's actually very difficult because when you have longer hair, even a shorter hair like me, it wants to get in the way of the seam. So you have to consistently, I have to consistently like move the fur out the way. A more skilled furrier is like, it's just like in the muscle <laughs> of their wrist. Um, so I also learned how to like stretch skins. And et- on the ethical side, I did take classes on um, animal ethics. And I got to visit a farm and see like where the animals are raised and learn about that. Because I think it is really important to like just be informed. And I had the choice. Like now with all of this information, at least in this region of the world where you're sourcing, you know point A to B, what is happening with your product. So with that being said, I did make a decision that it wasn't my decision. It was kind of like life drifted me away from that, which was a good thing because I think I needed to experience other things. I needed to end up working in streetwear. I needed to style men. I need, because those influences at the end of the day are all now a part of my like orbit and part of my toolkit for, you know, a relaunch later on. Can you go ahead, Luke? I was just going to say, Ray, to your point, too. I mean, if you had just embraced the title of purely fur designer or something, you know, you might have shut yourself off to these other opportunities that that came your way. So I think that that point you made earlier is is really good. But I also just I have one question for you. It's kind of taking it back a little bit, but it sounds like from very early on, you knew what you wanted to do. Like you were you were clearly interested in this whole fashion space. You know, you mentioned Alexander McQueen. I'm just curious because, you know, I have my own story of how I came to it, but I'm always curious about other people who were interested in this space from such a young age. Like, do you remember, was there a moment or something or was there anything specific you can remember about just like what what attracted you to fashion, to design, to clothes, to this form of expression? Um, I think it's a combination of things. It's like, you know, being a 90s kid and like the cool, you know, culture that we were bombarded with, like those influences. Um, Like I loved Janet Jackson. I loved Michael Jackson. And I loved them for the performers, you know, that I got to see them be. But also like, I always noticed fashion. Like it was always the other performance for me. Like, and no matter what I was looking at, a movie, a cartoon, I'd be like, oh, I noticed, I like Daria's little fit. Like, it would just be like a mental note in my mind. But 
I definitely credit just exposure in general because I think because I was exposed to art classes really young I was like five when I took my first official art class and my mom actually was like okay tell them you're seven because I was tall (laughs) and I came out I was like mommy they think I'm seven uh and you know I just I would I just was happy to play and learn and it evolved but I would credit exposure and like the things that were around me in terms of popular culture, but internally, like my family is creative. Like my mom's a writer and my dad and brother are musicians. It's there fashion wise. I'm the first person to kind of pick that torch up and say like, this is what I want to do. But my mom is dope. Like she always, um, she always had me in something. It was never, I'm like, I really want to watch cartoons this Saturday. And it was like, nah, you have a curriculum <laughs> of things. And I appreciate her for that in hindsight, because it helped me develop early on, like ideas about possibilities. Because even if I, I thought I wanted to be an architect, I took like half a class and was like, whoa, I just want to do the cool interior. Yeah, yeah. Something <laughs> after. <laughs> it's intense. That's, that's an important point um, you've kind of mentioned throughout this, this episode so far is, you know, you kind of, you've always done a lot. You've always like, experienced it um experience things that you were interested in and you kind of learn I think you learn the most from that because like you just said you realize you want to be an architect and you you take class or or you are exposed to it and you go oh maybe that's not it but you did that early early on so you could make that you know that career shift at seven instead of uh instead of being you know like deep down a a path that you don't want to continue on yep but but i wanted to ask you more about what you said you you had a trip to copenhagen can you kind of take us through that whole experience um what that uh, you said it was saga furs right yeah saga furs so this happened i this is so there's a few moments in my life in all of our lives where like Mm -hmm. your split decision away from changing everything i almost did not apply for this competition because i had I found out about it the afternoon before the deadline. And I'm like, you know, I had just come back from Paris. So this is spring semester back in New York. I'm trying to like get my footing because it's different. Like I'm, I'm adjusting back into the New York expectations and pace. And I see this, you know, hanging up at the student bulletin. And I'm like, man, that would be dope if I could apply for that. I literally said that. And then I I thought about it and I went and got materials to like make a cute little, because I love packaging. So I was, I was like, not only am I going to sell you on my designs, but I'm going to sell you on my packaging. So I went and like bought, um, I think it was rabbit fur and skins and all this mm. to make a little leather and fur book to put my sketches in. I did all that, got home, finished my actual work for school. It might have been like 11 o'clock and I'm just looking at the materials like it's late. I don't need to do that. I'm having a whole conversation with myself about how it's silly and I would never win anyway. And who has time? And I don't know. It was something like outside of me because next thing I knew I'm starting it. And next thing I know, it's the sun's coming up and I'm finishing it. And I go straight to school and I, I submit it and I'm just like, mm, we'll see. I ended up <laughs> I ended up winning. Um, what was that like when you when you found out you won? Were you shocked? Yeah. And not only that, but they hung it up around like high school. It was in the elevator when I walked into school. So I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. That's crazy because it was such a last minute play. Like I almost felt like, damn, did did the imposter syndrome moment of like, did Mm -hmm. I deserve that? Because I came in at the last minute and got it. But I did work my ass off that night. 
um, for it. And I was excited. I was, I was beyond excited because to be recognized by Saga is such an honor. Like they house some of the top designers in the world, you know, at their facility and their furriers work with them. So to be able to go there, I'd also never been to Denmark. So that was a cool experience just culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, getting there and the house itself is inspiring. It's literally set up for you to just be on a creative retreat. It's like, here's this beautiful house. It's covered in fur. Like my headboard was mink. There's chinchilla everywhere. There's champagne. There's a chef. There's like Game great- of Thrones. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> it was like, you don't need to do anything but wake up and come to our beautiful uh, studio and make things. It's just one of those opportunities that feels like a dream. Like, I feel like that taught me that like anything is possible and like the impossible things that you think are out of reach are, are really just right here. Um, and they have this book at Saga. I've gotten, I, I had a chance to go twice now. Um, Cause once I went as a student and then when I became a teacher and I started a fur program while I was teaching, I went back. And I signed this book and that book is amazing because it's like all the signatures of all the designers who visit. So I'm like, ooh, that, <laughs> that, like who signed, you know? And to be a part of that is just like such an honor. Yeah. Do you think that that, like you kind of said it, but do you think that moment, you know, kind of established for you everything you'd been on, every, you know, the path so far um, that you were going in the right direction and, and that moment kind of solidified that for you so that you knew you wanted to be a designer and you knew that was what you were going to do with your life? Yeah. At that moment, I felt like other people recognized me because I always felt it. Like you, I was actually very confident in in space. Like I I really believed it was as easy as I'm going to put my work out there and I'm going to be McQueen. I'm going to be like that was, there was no question in my mind at 18, 19 that like that was, the path um it was about like the industry accepting me and kind of you know the other amazing moment that came out of that that was kind of like whoa gave me chills um one of my fur pieces ended up in the window at Saks Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. and I remember going to Saks and like you know it's maybe like midnight so the streets are empty and everything and like my family's just in the street like cheering and I'm taking pictures <laughs> next to the window and it's like every designer like dreams of moments like that where your work is just recognized and it's about like the recognition and appreciation because we don't make it to keep it hidden at the end of the day so that was probably that was so reassuring and it was so it was just such an honor to be invited into that space as well that's a really interesting point you bring up too because that's something just from my perspective as a designer as well that I'm I'm constantly balancing is like just I guess how much of this at the end of the day, I, I, I like to I like to think and I like to say like the work that I do is for myself and I truly believe it is like, you know, whether one person buys it, nobody or a thousand people buy it, like I feel like I'm I'm getting a part of myself out there. But to your point too, at the end of the day, there is a reality to it as well where it's like, you know, we don't create this stuff solely in the dark to not be seen, you know, and um I don't know. I, I guess like for me, I've noticed, I think I'm, I, I've come to a better place with all of that, but definitely early on, that was something that I remember for me, I, it, it, there was a tension where it was just like, ah, I want to be seen. I, I got to be seen. Um, I don't know. Like, do you, do you feel that way as well? Or do you feel like 
are you kind of at this place now where you're kind of just content, like, I'm going to, you know, design this piece that says something about who I am, and that's enough right there. That's the fulfillment. Or do you still feel in any way like you need, I don't know, other people to kind of to recognize it, to validate it in order to feel like you've actually gotten it out there? Hmm. So I, I'm split in that decision because I wear, when I put my hat on for Dreamville, right? I want everything seen. Like that's the point. It's like at the end of the day, I see also design and fashion as another vehicle to tell stories and like yeah. get these, these cool stories out there. And you want people to engage with them. It's not about people coveting it so that you feel validated and cool. Like look at all these people that want my thing. It's like, damn, even if you didn't buy it, look at all these people that were impacted by something that I thought about. Or look at all these people that engaged with a thought I had. And that's fulfilling because it's just connecting. It's like that conversation. I, I put music and fashion in the same space as ways that we can connect with people mm-hmm. that we don't even know, that we don't have to speak the same language as. It's like, you have that hoodie? I have that hoodie. We both had that same thought. Or yeah. I made that hoodie and you like it. Wow. Like it's it's fulfilling, I would say, more than validating. I learned to let you know, the the validation go kind of early on because um, I was playing that game of like, I just need it. It's funny to end up a stylist now, right? And I was just chasing stylists all the time with my work. And my friends who were in that game would give me advice. Like, it's not ever personal. Like, whether it's with buyers, with stuff, like you can't let that define you. The buyer didn't respond to me. I suck this person didn't email me back. It's not good enough. Like, no, my work is still valid. It's still good. Maybe you don't have a space for it right now. That's fine. I'm going to still keep going with this. That doesn't mean that you'd be a jerk and you're never open to any kind of constructive criticism, but I had to really get to a space where I'm like, I'm really happy with what I create. And when that's the first step, you already win. Cause if you ever put something out that you're halfway okay about that's when you really look for validation I feel like because you want other people to support the thought you didn't have about your own work genuinely love what you put out it's like when you give someone a gift and you're so excited for them to open it because it's like oh my god they're gonna love it like I can't wait that's how you feel putting your work out it's like dang I can't wait for the people to like see this touch it yeah no I, I think too to that point I think for me it's been a shift in perspective from like oh like I guess the validation to just like like you said I kind of look at it as like an ongoing conversation and a way of connecting with people as well but also just kind of more focusing on on the growth too like kind of using it as a way to it's I think it's a cool sort of window into seeing how much sort of my life has changed and evolved and I've grown as a person over the years to just track the work from five years ago to now or seven years ago to now it's just it's like I was a totally different person when I made that. And that that feeling right there, I feel like, and just being able to recognize for myself the fulfillment and the the growth that that took place there, that's I don't know. In, in a way, I think that's what uh that's what gets me excited. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're both kind of hitting on, you know, the storytelling aspect, right? It's uh, you know, it's the storytelling from your perspectives. You know, it's it's it tells how you were feeling at that time or the things that mattered to you um, or, you know, it even might take you back to the emotions you were feeling at the time when you designed the piece um, or the collection. And when you finally put that out in the world, 
you know, I think it obviously we care about what other people think, but if it comes from that place of I'm doing this because it feels right to me and it's me just getting my story out there, um, you know, you're already kind of winning. You're already operating from a really high level where I think very few people are able to get there. You know, a lot of people really do make things because they think other people will want it or like it. But, you know, if you ask them what they really feel about it, they're not too honest about their answer. Um, so I think it's a, a really interesting place to, to operate from. But I wanted to ask you more about what happened after the Saga first experience. Um, you know, you were on this crazy trajectory and you had your own brand that you were building. Where did you go from there? Um, reality, straight there. <laughs> um, because creatively, like I had a vision and I was very excited and sure about it. What I was lacking was like the business know-how and you guys know how important that is coupled with your ideas, like this strategy, you know? And so I was trying to do everything myself with the knowledge that I did have and <clears throat> invested a lot of money in a second collection and went the route of trying to get with buyers and maybe I should do a trade show. Like it was really just like figuring it out and being very scrappy with a very expensive product. Like here's a scrappy young designer with a $3,000 dress. Like what's going on? And what I didn't know anything when it came like I didn't know. I just didn't know. So I realized I do need to learn, but I also don't want to go and like work at Calvin Klein. And I'm saying that because yeah. I interviewed at Calvin Klein, even though <laughs> I knew on my way there, I'm like, I felt like no shade to Calvin Klein, like, you know, but I felt like a sellout to myself in that moment. I was just like, damn, you really like, I don't know why going and getting a job felt like turning my back on me. Cause like, I don't know why I just felt like this is all I'm supposed to do at that point in my life. Um, but I ended up freelancing um, gigs here and there. And then on my way, ironically, to the Calvin Klein interview, I had stopped over at my old high school. And um, one of my mentors, I would just go and visit with my teachers from time to time. One of my mentors was like, why don't you come to the uh, AP's office with me? And I'm like, OK, I have my portfolio. I'm on my way to an interview. Like, I'm clearly prepared for an interview. Um, and they looked at my book and were just like, would you want to work here? And I'm like, first of all, I barely feel like an adult. Yeah. So the fact that you guys now, like, you know, we, you know, you look at your teachers as these like pillars mm. of adulthood, like they're responsible for us. And yeah. I barely felt responsible for myself. So I thought it was a cool idea, was open to it, did not think it was actually going to manifest. <clears throat> that might have been like April. I ended up teaching. They invited me to teach or asked me to teach in August. So I very quickly got it together to teach um, that September uh, at the high school of fashion. I taught for two years. And that, you know, is a really special time in my life that I think it was almost like intermission, but a really cool, very um, inspiring, like intermission for me because here, you're going to get inspired, but you're also going to have a chance to inspire these kids. They inspired me. Like my second year, I got a promotion um, and I became the director of the senior fashion show. So that's managing like 500 kids, 10 classes. And how old were you at that time? 23, 24. <laughs> so you, you remember 23, but like, I'm like, 
when don't call me miss anything like I was very sitting inside especially because my mom was a teacher and she was we have the same last name so I was just like I'm not yeah you like I don't want to see that written on my stuff like it was almost like an identity crisis at the same time like as much as I loved it I do remember like crying one of my my first week in my classroom because I was it was a combination of emotions like this is cool holy shit what did I do I'm scared I can't do this I'm not a teacher again with the labels like I'm not a teacher I felt in a way like I didn't deserve to be there maybe because I didn't seek to be there like there's some kid who went to school to do all the things to be here now to be a teacher and I'm here because I rolled in one day on the way to my Calvin Klein interview and it but I had to you know it aligned and it was the right thing um but it was overwhelming initially just shout out to teachers because it's not easy like it's a lot of planning and all that but um the fashion show is probably one of the best parts of my experience because that was a big job and as a new teacher a young teacher like I had to not only be responsible for the kids but it was kind of like I needed to get the respect of the other teachers because I was their leadership and some of them had taught me so that was crazy. It's like when you're now pairs with the people that were pouring, yeah. into, everybody was super supportive and like proud of me. So it was a proud moment for all of us. It's like, you're a product of this. Now you're back and you're pouring into this and we want to pour into you and what you're pouring into. So this, the set, the end of the first year is when I started the fur program there um, because I was always in touch with Saga and I would go to their uh, trade shows whenever they came to New York. And um, I mentioned to them that I was teaching and quick fact about the fur industry is, you know, at that point, there was this huge initiative to kind of like save it because all the furriers are the average age of a furrier was like 85. So it's like we can't have a lot of furriers leaving us and then leaving the knowledge that they have trained their whole lives to uh, have. And it was like, all right, we're going to pair this 85-year-old furrier with this 14-year-old kid and just see what they crank out. And it was dope because these kids were learning a skill that I didn't learn. So I was like 19. And I always felt that way with my students. Like, I want to give y'all, you guys are getting information I got in college. So, you know, hold on to it yeah. and actually execute with it. Um, but yeah, after, after that, uh, I ended up, in this world now because I I quit that job quite frankly with no real plan I was just like I know that my time is up here and I feel like I've contributed and I want to leave on a high like I just did this dope show with y'all I started something that will be here even when I'm gone so I need to go and do more before I can teach anything like I just felt like I needed more life experiences and more design experiences so I actually left that's a that's very just real quick. That's um very humble of you to to be put in that position to have you know people who you used to look look up to as your peers looking at you with that much respect and you know you to have that successful moment, but then for you to know and to look inside yourself and say I'm not really in the best position to help these people yet. I've done something great, but I need to go do more and be better before I can really do this. I just think that's an important, um, you know, thing to note about, 
you and, and where you were at at such a young age. That's not an easy thing for people to do at any point in their lives, but to do that at you know, 23 is pretty impressive. Yeah, it was like ripping the Band-Aid off, kind of. Yeah. I remember writing my letter of resignation and just being like, are you sure you're ready to leave stability again? Like, you know, because yeah. before that, I was like, you know, gigging and like just focusing on my own brand. And, and and I went back into that because I felt like I'm not done with this. And I was just focusing on my work, walking down the street in the garment district one day, and I get a call from Felton Brown, who's the head of everything creative when it comes to like he just did the creative direction for Cole's album cover the off season like he's mm-hmm. a brilliant creative at Dreamville also a really good friend of mine and he calls me he's like yo can you uh make a jumpsuit for Cole and real casual and like calm and I'm like yeah I think I guess I should be able to do that what kind and I'm asking all these details he's like I'm gonna send you this mood board of stuff that he didn't really like and you could just go from there. So like, all right, now I know what not to yeah. do, but I kind of yeah. know what the vision is. So, okay, I can do that. And when do y'all need it? Oh, next week for world tour. No pressure, none at all. Like, so we had a conversation it might've been like three or four o'clock that night. I just stayed up and I was sketching and I did this little, I love making like, presentations. I make decks all day. That's like a huge part of what I do, but I, I credit Parsons for that. Cause they were, they were not playing when it came to our concepts, like presentations. So I still feel like I'm in school whenever I make these little like presentations. So I made one for Cole and I came up with a concept property of for the jumpsuit, I photoshopped his face on all the sketches. I was, I wanted to sell it. Like, this is you. Yeah. yeah. And um, like literally that night, uh, Felton hit me. He's like, yo, he loved it. Can you fly to LA tomorrow? And that was the beginning of everything. Like, I will never forget that conversation. First of all, I forgot to tell y'all the funniest part is that I kept missing Felton's call and he left me a voicemail. And nobody leaves my dad yeah. leaves me a voicemail. Yeah. Like, call dad. I'm like, Same. you don't have to do that, dad. But, um, so when he left me a voice, a voicemail, I knew, like, okay, something's up. So I called him and he's like, yo why aren't you answering your phone? <laughs> and then I realized like why this was such a frantic thing. Um, but that went so fast. Like yeah. I ended up flying to LA to meet Cole at rehearsal for the Four Your Eyes Only tour. And I have like my little sketches and I'm just sitting on the edge of a chair kind of like, I can't believe I'm here. This is crazy. And he was super cool, is a super cool person. Um, and was like, you know, I love the ideas that you have and I brought a jumpsuit out there just to kind of get a feel for what his measurements are. And I yeah. tweaked using that because I didn't have time to make a muslin. And in a week, I had a, I had two jumpsuits for him in Arizona for the first tour stop. And, um, oh. and it, it started and it has been a journey since then. And that was 2017. That's really cool. Oh. I just I, I just want to pause on one thing. It's so funny to me, that timeline, too. It's like, a week to get a jumpsuit done it's so funny we get the same requests sometimes from people who like don't quite understand what it takes to make something it's mm-hmm. like can you get us this tomorrow and it's like yo <laughs> do you know what you're asking but you got it done so sure. I, I call it making unicorn milk like from that point on <laughs> whenever because like also along that tour there was one night his manager called me 
And I, it's a good thing I was up. I, I was out because I had gone to a show. So I was at like the diner after. It's like 3.30 in the morning. And he calls me like, hey, can you make another jumpsuit for Kendrick? He might come out um, for this, you know, we don't know. He may or may not, you know how that goes. Schedules, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But it's like in the event that he does come to this show and wants to come out, he needs a jumpsuit. So we need you to make one just for the maybe. And we need it in Canada by 7 p.m. Right now, you're in Maryland. You're not even where you need to be to wow. make So I went straight to the train station from the diner and then landed in New York with enough time to go straight to my factory and start it. For us to ship it, I, I don't remember how we did it, but we got, oh, no. By the time we finished it, his manager was like, yeah, he's not going to make it for Canada, but maybe Miami. So I ended up holding it and I flew to Miami because I was like, I need to see this thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going. <laughs> flew to Miami. He didn't end up coming out, but I was still like, damn, that's crazy that I made this jumpsuit for y'all in like 13 hours. Like, whatever it nobody was. Knows, nobody knows it. Yeah. He didn't even wear it. Nah, <laughs> it crazy. And mind you, I have never met Kendrick, so I don't know measurements. I don't know. I'm on Wikipedia. Like, all right, say he's five. But like... I've had to do that a few times, actually, you guys, like go to Google and, and hope for me. We've, we've we've done that. We've had to do that in, in uh, some instances as well. You never know. It's kind of scary because you just like because you don't want to offend people, you know, mm-hmm. and you just don't know their personality or anything. So like, you, you never know how they're going to take getting a random garment that doesn't fit them like one way or the other. Yeah, so it's a it's, it's a so funny nervous like, situation. I just feel sometimes like people. um like when they ask for one of ones or whatever, like you're talking about, they kind of have this expectation like, oh, it's just going to come out perfect. And it's like this, yeah. I don't know. It's just this thing like they do. And then it comes out and it's like, it's, I just have all these memories of us making stuff for certain basketball players or whatnot. And like, just the proportions end up being so off and like, they don't understand why. And it's like, well, we didn't even have your measurements. Like, you know, and they're just like expecting it to be done perfect. I don't know. So that's, yeah. that's just really really cool to me that you were you were able to nail it on such a short timeline <laughs> well <clears throat> with the jumpsuits for Cole I nailed it they were made but I went out there with my sewing machine for Arizona so I'm just like any last minute like whatever mm-hmm. which I did end up tweaking and then we went and fixed the pattern but it was close enough for for sure swinging at like air like all right I gotta hurry up and make this thing happen and then also like with the property of messaging on the bat, which ended up being, I think, like something that was, you know, a signature recognizable element from that look. Um, he wasn't sure about it at first. And I didn't want to push him on it because I respect the fact that this is your tour and this is your thing. And I have the honor of being a part of it, but like whatever makes you comfortable. So I said, how about we make them detachable panels And that way, even if you want to switch out messaging throughout the tour, I could do that. So I made a blank panel and I made a panel that was embroidered to say property of. And once it was done, everybody was like, that's hard. Like, you got to do the property of with the bar. So, but I love that that moment made me kind of make that adjustment because we did use that later on when he did Made in America. He'd swapped out that panel or like a think piece that he came up with so that's really cool just because i see them in the background i see you got the yarn yeah. to swatch the asher yeah. swatch <laughs> the, asher. the headers are you um 
are you are you cooking up anything right now any one of ones or yeah yeah I'm, I'm cooking up as much as humanly possible while I'm here in LA um love that and every day I, like right now we're in the process of making samples for you know the new collections and I'm establishing um sort of a base for Dreamville Premium like all of our um go-to items as we expand and create other collections that are like you know more narrative based or we're responding to something like Earth Day or anything else socially that we feel connected to we should always have these you should always be able to get a dope premium cut and sew Dreamville hoodie you should always be able to get I'm excited I'm working on some pieces for women now a great sports bra a great legging (laughs) what is a women's basketball short look like you know working on that um of course uh you guys are like the I love y'all hoop shorts but we we are making a hoop short as well um and actually I want to give you guys credit for inspiring me a lot because you took something and made it so signature that that was my challenge for Dreamville. I'm like, I need to make a short that is so signature because what you guys have done with that and taking it and you can do it in a print. You can play around with like the possibilities are endless because you have this great base. And that's what I aim to establish for Dreamville is like a great base of product that we can build on and elaborate. But it's like, this is the best tea that we can offer. This is the best, you know? We're honestly, we're on the same wave as well. Like, it's it's kind of a never-ending process, I feel mm-hmm. like, you know? Because every time I make something, I feel like, oh, this is great. Like, this is the best it's ever been. And then I sit with it for, like, sometimes even just a week. And I'm like, oh, this could have been better. This could have been better. And so then on the next round, we go through it, and it's, like, a totally new iteration. But, um, yeah, it's like you're just always striving to put out the best possible product you can. And I think just looking at some of the swatches you have behind you, it's a, a lot of the same mills and stuff that we use. So I think yeah, you're yeah, definitely yeah. on the right track as far as, as far as at least in, in our opinion, getting the base right. Yeah, that's the most exciting. Like I love fabric. I have to make myself be intentional when I go and look for what I'm looking for. Otherwise I'm like, and this is really nice. Yeah. If you ever wanted to make a gown or yeah, like I do the same thing. <laughs> I'll go, I'll go out. I know, like, okay, I'm looking for something specific. I need a 16 ounce French terry, like this, you know, 100 percent cotton. I'll come back with like 50 swatches, mm-hmm. just nothing related to what I was looking for, all for future ideas. And I don't know, it's cool. I feel like that that's definitely one of the things that continues to inspire us. So it's mm-hmm. good that it's good that we do that. But at the same time, man, organizing those fabrics later at the studio is such a nightmare. Yeah, then you tell yourself, oh, I'm building a library. Yeah. So. <laughs> Whatever you got to tell yourself. Yeah. But um, I know we're running out of time. Is there anything else that you want to get across on this episode? I guess what I really want people to, to know about me or to look at me and see is just a creative person. Um, I'm really, really repel. Like, I don't like to assume any title. And I hope that hearing my story will shed some more light on why and hopefully um, 
give some inspiration to another creative out there who's who's battling between two directions. Like my biggest piece of advice would be just go down a path because everything, every experience that you have, it, it's all cumulative. Like they'll all, me teaching is relative to what I'm doing now. Me going to Saga and learning about fur is relative to what I'm doing now. Like it all comes back. Um, all of the experiences come around and I'm excited just to be on this journey. And it's definitely an honor, it's an honor for you guys to have me here to even want to hear my story. Um, and I think just lean into the journey of life because I could never have planned this or imagined this. And I, I love the opportunity with Dreamville because, you know, they're really supportive of me also as a creative and they've given me such agency. And I really appreciate the, um, the team for that because it's a big undertaking to shape their identity in this market and they trust me with it. And that is motivating for me in itself because I just want to do the best job that I can. And I treat this like it's mine because that's how much like focus I put towards it. And that's how much intention is there. And that's also why like I'm completely at peace with having put my brain on hold to fully pour into this because I believe in it and I'm still excited about it. Like it's not a chore, you know? No, I was going to say I'm having fun. And I think that's what we all should like, yeah, there's going to be like work shit that is like, oh, this didn't get out in time or that mill or this fact. But like at the end of the day, if you're not like smiling about what you made or or having fun with your team or at any point, like I love this pivot because <laughs> that's what it should be. That's what it should be. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's right. Yeah, you definitely gave me a dose of inspiration today. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. I I definitely need that at times as well just to you know stay stay inspired stay motivated and and keep going so i definitely appreciate that and and everything that you that you do for dreamville i feel like that it so clearly comes off that there's like real intention behind it and like just the path that you guys are on and even just you saying like you know i take this up like it's my own like that that comes across like we can all feel that so i'm really excited to see like what you know this like how dreamville will continue to evolve just from like an apparel standpoint like what what it will look like like the ongoing conversation that you guys will continue and you specifically will continue to have with with your with your guys' fans so super excited yeah thanks uh thanks again for joining the show and and really just kind of sharing your your journey with us um like luke said really appreciated it and just excited to see where you go in the future so thanks again Thank you guys for having me. Y'all are killing it. So you've been so inspiring to me as a brand and the identity is so, you got it. Like it's there. I appreciate that. Well, looking forward to having you on again in the future. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you guys so much. All right. Take care. All right. Bye guys. See you soon. This podcast is presented by Bristol Studio, sound editing by Rashad Allen, music by James Grissom. 
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.